you know, Stalin and the Nazis were these welfare state types. Uh, One of us is a stand-up comic. Can you tell who it is, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Peckerwood Brick. Um. <laughs> but the problem. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like, I could use that to teach the whole arc. Do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence? just recently for, for a long time uh anytime there's there's a move to to try to realistically portray uh the the stresses that women have to deal with in in the world in in fandom um there's always there's always pushback from from guys always there's it's male you know talking about how you know the struggles of male characters are are underappreciated and you introduce a female character and they just you know gripe and complain and what what occurred to me in talking with with my wife about this recently was anybody who makes those arguments on twitter or any place else is basically telling on themselves that either they've never been in a relationship with a woman or when they have been in a relationship with a woman, they have never actually listened to the shit that women have to put up with on a daily basis. Like, just just this week, for example, my wife has had to carry emotional labor for literally everyone else in her office at some point. Um, some of them on multiple occasions. Um... And when <laughs> she had, she had a thing happen today where uh, she got a look at her paycheck and um, the, the company that she works for had changed from one payroll service to a different payroll service. And the, uh, the, the layout of the check was different, you know, where, where they put all the information about withholdings and all that stuff. All of that had changed. And so there was this, there was this long second where she was looking at like, wait a minute, what happened to my money? Right. And this happened at the end of a week during which she literally talked one of her male coworkers down from quitting on the spot. And that was actually just earlier today. She had multiple interactions with, with a coworker who is the biggest mansplainer like oh my this yeah and then and and then finally she had this thing happen and she went into her to her manager and she said 
name I'm not going to give out on the air. Um, it, what 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 happened with our check? Oh well, we we changed the service. Oh, all right, yeah, no, for a second there, you know, I was I was kind of I was I was about to freak out, and no shit, her boss looked at her and said, "Well, you know, name of my wife, maybe you just need to try to have a more positive attitude about these things." Like, like, and and of course, every day she tells me about what's going on at work. So she told me this, and I could not stop myself from going. Excuse the fuck out of you, sir. Like, you don't even fucking know. So, so I just, I just want to say, for anybody who who wants to gripe and complain about, you know, uh, all of the the quote unquote whining that you see female superhero characters do in, in, in more recent depictions of them, uh, son, that just proves you, you haven't actually listened to a wife or girlfriend ever in your life. And, and I've needed to get that off my chest kind of for a while now, but today was, was like the topper on that. So yeah, that's, that's what I've got going on. Um, how about you? Who are you and what's happening? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a uh, erstwhile Latin teacher as well as a U.S. history teacher, mostly U.S. history now. So uh, okay. up here in Northern California as well at the high school level. Uh, and for me this week, uh, let's see, um, my kids and I just finished uh, Voltron, Defenders of the Universe. Um, okay, nice. I think nice. the most recent iter iteration, but like, it's certainly a very comprehensive one. It is a well done one. Yeah. Um. We binged it uh, one Saturday recently uh, or one Sunday recently and had oh, a yeah. lot of fun with that Um. because there are about 13 episodes each season kind of thing. So I think we lost, yeah. we watched the last five in a sitting. Oh, um, wow. Which, Damn. you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, that's one Lord of the Rings movie. So yeah, that's even. about right. Yeah. Uh, so, um, but we watched it and it was, it was really cool. I, I liked how it wrapped up and, uh, my kids and I have had a lot of really good discussions about, um, you know, spoiler alert to something that ended before the pandemic began, yeah. uh, I believe, um, uh, Alora, princess Alora sacrifices mm. herself, um, and gives her life essence for, uh, Hunerva, uh, to like not be evil. Okay. It was all a little confusing to me. My kids could tell you the exact plot and everything that happened, but okay. rest assured, Alora did sacrifice herself, leaving Lance uh, behind. Um, and Lance was her paramour. Yeah. And it was really sorry. Cool I'm having see. flashbacks to like nine year old me. Sure. Sorry. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how the other one ended if it ended at all. Uh, but really. um, you know, seeing Lance, uh settle the rest of his life in terms of like honoring her sacrifice and honoring the love that they had by being a simple farmer. And he was by far the most uh, complex slash uh, he was the comedy relief. He had a lot of out loud feelings kind of thing. Um, and so he was kind of the most featured character by virtue of his ability to annoy everyone. Uh, <laughs> and uh it was really interesting just to see his arc and uh, yeah. to have my kids talk about it afterwards. So it was, it was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, I like ending things as far as okay. uh, long things with them. We're still working our way through the legend of Korra. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we've, we've, uh, 
rewatched The Hobbit in anticipation of the Lord of the Rings stuff, mm-hmm. and we're caught up to date on that. I'm not going to say which up to date we are because this is somewhat timeless. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're kind of looking around for a new thing, and I think we found it, but uh, we're going to decide that this week, or I think we're just going to work our way through Korra and just like do double dips for okay. a while, and that then, makes uh, sense. And then that we'll works. see what we like. So it's All really right. cool to get to watch these things with them. Yeah, um, yeah, I, like no, I can believe it. I can't wait until my son yeah. is old enough to be able to handle some of these things. I yes. am looking forward to hearing about that. That is that is going to be awesome. So, uh, well, when last we left it, uh, NBC uh, had made a shit ton of money and had a lot of success that they did not anticipate uh, off of uh, Michael Johnson's uh, series V, the miniseries. Yes. Um, yes. And this the, is the one the that original miniseries. Yes. And this is the yeah. one that ended uh, relatively ambiguously or it didn't have a nice pretty bow on it. It was. And the fighting the, goes on. The the end was the beginning. Yeah. But it could have just been the end there. Like, yeah. Yeah. They no, didn't you could have, you could have left star. it off. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So he and that's how he had it in mind. It's done. And now what? You know, it's that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, holding his, up his... the mirror to us. Yeah, because his whole point was this isn't something that the fight doesn't actually stop. Right. You and know, that's... Um, you, you need, as you love to say, you need to finish the full course of antibiotics. <laughs> yes. And then yeah. be prepared for flare ups after that. Exactly. So now afterward, NBC wanted to follow up its success to make more money, of course. And uh, Johnson, in an interview, said that the miniseries was going to act as a pilot to a full series. Um, but given the budget necessary to make the series work and given NBC's finances, Michael Tartikoff altered that to make a sequel miniseries instead. Um, and Johnson started gathering writers to him. Um, but then Warner Brothers came in and declined. And they they figured that a miniseries wouldn't be as profitable for them as would a series. So the compromise was struck. Let's do both, but like throw half the money at both. So NBC. That that explains (laughs) some shit right there. NBC would get the six hour miniseries and Warner Warner Brothers would get a full series out of it. And while Johnson was getting things going, Warner Brothers said that they wanted a different director for the second miniseries from Johnson. Um, Or no, they wanted a different writer. I apologize. Uh, they basically Warner Brothers Studios wanted Johnson out of the way, despite Johnson being contracted to write and direct the second miniseries. And they just they're like, no, we don't want him as a writer or as a director. Why and, not? Uh, Do well, we know what their issue was? Yeah, actually, uh, Warner Brothers were concerned that he would worry about the artistry while they were trying to get the bottom line thickened up. Ah, uh, so okay, get the miniseries the... done fast and cheap. Then we could get on to the series where that's where we're going to get the money. <sighs> so, okay. Warner Brothers breached his contract um, by doing this and didn't seem to care. And they're like, okay, what are you going to do? Walk? And he said, yes, I am. And he fucking walked. Um, and here's, here's his quote on it. He says, quote, it was a bit like having a baby and giving it over to the foster parents that you didn't know or trust. To this day, I've only seen 30 seconds of it and watched them make every wrong choice in 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, the writer sugarcoat it there, man. Yeah. Oh, and he really did. Think. He never did. Um, yeah. But the writers that were in that room were people that he picked. Um, 
but you know they they answered to the studio more than they answered to him as a head writer. So V the Final Battle was a six hour three episode miniseries that was directed by Richard T. Heffron. Uh, Heffron directed Future World. Um, he also directed most of the North and South miniseries that you might remember. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And that explains several... a number of things. Okay. Yeah. And he directed several other miniseries. So he's kind of a miniseries director. And Johnson's contributions were listed under Lillian Weezer. So if you go and you find <laughs> the credit given to Lillian Weezer, that's that's Michael Johnson. So <laughs> interesting choice of nom de plume. Well, you know, it's not Alan Smithy because, mm. you know, whatever. Yeah. But but so the final battle, it picks up right where V left off. It was a huge ratings win again, which reassured both NBC and Warner Brothers that an ongoing series would totally work and that Johnson wasn't necessary for success. Um, and uh, mm. this, <laughs> this this particular miniseries gives us the happy ending that we didn't get in 1983. Yeah. So for those who've not seen it, here's the plot. John and Diana are still in command of the visitors. And we open with Mike Donovan running with his son through the brightly lit hallways, being chased by visitors with rifles now, uh, who shoot Sean down, Michael's son. uh, And Mike is cut down moments later as he holds his dying boy. Of course, that's a dream sequence. Mike suddenly awakes from sleep, having dreamed the whole incident. You have like the Bobby thing, you know, from Dallas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it was 1983. And like, that was a trope. This actually predates that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Bobby uh, being in the shower, I think, was eighty-five. Um, uh, yeah, but that trope was still everywhere. Oh, it was. And the it and was. like like by by the time Dallas did it, it was it was part of the reason it was it was the thing that it turned into was that it had become a cliche. Yes, because it had been done everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. You know? Um, and and the thing with doing it there is they went through two full seasons on Dallas. Uh, where where it was then like you know good morning and you're like what in the shit is this like <laughs> <Wait a> minutes <laughs> are you serious yeah um so yeah it's uh it, it was ooh. speaking of Patrick Duffy uh <laughs> turns out he <laughs> was in like Taco Bell commercials in 1975 okay <laughs> so um I thought that was kind of funny um just a just a little fun aside um but anyway uh so. Mike awakes um, uh, suddenly from sleep, having dreamed the whole incident. Uh, and if you recall, Sean, Mike's son, had been taken aboard the visitor ship in the original miniseries. Yes. So you can't just blow the fucking ship up because his son is aboard there as a lizard popsicle, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, the resistance fighting, uh, the, the resistance that's now fighting out of a light rail station in L.A., I think, which, you know, literally an underground um, fails in their attempt to stop Stephen, uh, the head of visitor security, and the plant that's being used to process humans to take up to the mothership. Uh, and it's essentially freeze drying them, like yeah. turning them into jerky. Um, and uh, the the resistance loses several members. So we open with the resistance trying and failing. And fortunately, in the month since the last miniseries, uh, the resistance has a famed but aging actress on their side a woman named Ruby Ingalls, who's posing as a cleaning woman at the visitor's friendship center, uh, which is in LA. And there's another resistor uh, named Maggie who started sleeping with Daniel, the brown shirt. Remember Daniel? Yes. And he, he equates sex with power. So he likes the attention that she's giving him because he's also a teenage boy. And of yeah. course, 
in their sweet, sweet moments afterwards, he's bragging to her and he lets it slip that there's an important media event that's going to be held at a local hospital and attended by the aliens leader, John. This information works its way back to Julie, the leader of the resistance, and they set up a plot in motion to expose John for the lizard that he is. And most people don't yet believe that they're lizards. Okay. So to get into the hospital, that's going to require a special pass. And Donovan thinks that he can steal his mother's special pass because she's the rich collaborator. Um, and then they can get that special pass to folks who can then forge such things. Um, there's a fun little moment where, because one of the resistance people is a cop, uh, an okay. ex-cop. A, literally, he stopped being a cop. Um, okay. And there's another one who is, um, you might remember Elias, the one who... His brother was a doctor who died, and Elias was the hood. And uh, Elias was like, it's supposed to have been me, and blah, blah, blah. So now he's dedicated yeah, yeah. himself. Yeah. And at one point, Donovan says, hey, look, I mean, we get this pass, and Elias, or, or he says to the cop guy, uh, you know, you're a cop. And he's like, ex-cop. And he's like, and Elias, you're a hood. Ex-hood. Yeah. Between the two of you. And then they both turn to each other like, Pasquale, Pascal. And they, so it's. <laughs> Clever, clever nice. writing, right? Yeah. Like, like honestly, yeah. it's good writing for a comic book. I think it's shit for a miniseries, but yeah, um, but it's it's what I believe people would call Mary Sue. Um, I, they call it that any any number of times that like a woman just like conveniently waltzes through something, even though that's yeah. not Mary Sue. But yeah, this feels well, more like the yeah. vibe. So, okay. So on board the mothership, Martin and Barbara, these are the fifth columnists, uh, yes. reconfigure the computers in the control room to keep the broadcast going um, so that when they pull his lizard face off, they can't just go to black. Okay. Robin Maxwell. What's that? Can't cut the feed. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's the fifth column working with them now. Yeah. Now, Robin yeah, yeah. Maxwell, meanwhile, has noticed that she is pregnant by Brian. Brian was the visitor who befriended Daniel and was kind of in charge of the youth brigade. Remember, Diana was running experiments. Yeah, saying, Go fuck yeah, the yeah, girls. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She okay. notes a green scaly patch on her neck, which she covers with a scarf for a while. However, Willie, now Willie's the one that you you kept mistaking for everyone else. Yeah. This is Robert England. Yeah, um, yeah. He's the visitor who's on the side of, you know, he's on their team. Um, he's a vegetarian, for one, uh, and he's... You know, he, he's basically a pacifist and kind of useless, okay. except for when he's not. Um, he notices it and immediately asks her how her pregnancy is going. Uh, she admits to the affair with Brian and she asks her father and Julie to help her get an abortion. Okay. Uh, and so now this is 84. 84. Yeah. And this is so kind of a, that's 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 a point at which that would have been a hot button thing because that yeah. was that was a deal for you know uh reagan's supporters was mm -hmm. that was that was one of the things that got reagan elected right and we're now moving into the election for his second term mm -hmm. so okay all right yeah. now of course this upsets the priest who's on their side yeah uh, so that deals with that uh but julie and robin's father go ahead with it over the strident objections of the priest uh they sneak robin into a hospital where she and a friend named fred king um, examine her child in utero. Uh, they discover that Robin's baby cannot be aborted without killing her, so she's going to have to carry it to term. So Reagan wins again mm -hmm. at the big hospital. And I think it's because like uh, the 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 lizard baby has like worked its way into her nervous system or some shit like that. If I remember yeah. the the plot point right, it's yeah, it's 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 like 
in in the alien movies the right. the you know yeah. the the egg the embryo uh you know it's inextricable it, from your yeah makes yeah, itself parasitic and inextricable yeah now uh speaking of reagan um now at <laughs> at the big hospital event <laughs> that shouldn't be as funny as that is but yeah there you no. go. all right <laughs> At the big hospital event, the resistance members gain entry with the phony passes that Pascal provided. Uh, Christine Walsh, the uh, the journalist that Mike knew, who has absolutely traded any integrity whatsoever for power. Um, she's their foremost media spokesperson now. She heads up the broadcast. John announces that his people's cure for cancer will be a given to the population of the Earth. At that point, Julie rushes him and announces to the cameras that the visitors are vicious, conquering aliens who plan to destroy the Earth and enslave the human race. Then she tears his mask off, revealing his partially lizard face, or at least revealing part of his lizard face. Yes. Um, the visitors force the resistance's retreat. Diana charges Christine Walsh with making an announcement that the broadcast was a hoax uh, by the resistance, you know, fake news, with the audience forced at gunpoint to react appropriately. Um, at this point, Christine finds her spine and shifts her rhetoric on camera to, and tries to tell the world that what they witnessed was real. Enraged, Diana blasts her on camera and Christine dies. Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, it's you know, what's what's funny about this is it, yeah. it turns out the the Trumpite figure here is Diana. Yes, the, <laughs> the the female leader of the of the lizard aliens. Is, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yup. Meanwhile, Fred King, Robin's friend, is killed while trying to rush the barriers outside in a stolen ambulance. And Julie gets captured by Diana and Stephen. The visitors uh, rebroadcast the event according to what they want to have seen so that the unmasking could just be seen as fake news by those who wanted to. So they just like redo the whole thing and they put out that copy. On board the L.A. mothership, Diana tries to convince Julie that her greatest fears uh, surround her and that Diana is the only thing that she can trust. It's a process called conversion uh, that we saw mentioned in the original series. We never saw done. And it doesn't work, but Diana learns that Julie has a congenital heart defect, and she thinks she can use Julie as a sleeper agent. So then we meet uh, probably your favorite character, Ham Tyler. Okay. Michael Ironsides. Oh, yeah. Shoots with an Uzi at his dick. Yeah, Yeah. probably... Probably yeah. right up there, yeah. Pulls up the leather sleeves yeah. on his jacket before shooting his dick Uzi. Yeah, yeah, uh huh. Yep. Yeah, it's it's about as it's about as Michael Ironsides as you can get. Yeah, basically. I think this it's is as close to to homosexuality as you've ever you've ever gotten is admiring him, Tyler. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'll I'll you know and and I and I will say that you know the uh, greatest intensity of my admiration for him was sometime around puberty when like mm-hmm. you know I wasn't sure. Sure. Yeah, I I understand. So he tells everyone that the resistance is larger than they know and that he has a new type of ammunition, which is coated with Teflon. And so therefore, the bullets can easily penetrate the visitor's armor and into their skin. So now bullets will actually work because that's one of the reasons that they failed at the beef jerky factory. Yeah. Um, There's a bigger world effort out there, and he's come in to link the L.A. group with everyone else. So L.A. has been on their own, and he's trying to link them up. Unfortunately for the L.A. resistance... The guy they used uh, to fake the fa- passcode, he absolutely informed on them after getting beat up, uh, Pascal. And mm-hmm. Ham Ham warns the resistance about a second before the attack comes. So it's it's the weirdest I told you so. 
Yeah. But Ham and his companion, whose name I forget, but he's kind of a fat redheaded guy. Um, they blow up the remainder of the hideout and they retreat with Donovan, calling Donovan gooder for the remainder of the series and then the TV series. And it's because Donovan knew Tyler because Tyler is a mercenary and Donovan was always covering war zones. And so Tyler called him do-gooder all the time. So there's a history. Okay. Yeah. Now, the new Resistance headquarters is in an abandoned movie ranch, which is echoed later in the TV series. Ruby, while undercover, hears that Julie is being set loose, which changes the Resistance's plans for her rescue, and Martin plans to aid them in freeing Julie. Ham has a heart-to-heart. He is this hard-assed, hard-case guy, and then he has this heart-to-heart with Ruby. Um, He lets out how incredibly cultured he actually is because they banter about Broadway acting. And he's like, I saw you do such and such role. And she's like, oh, I did such and such. He's like, I saw him when he did such and such. And it's like this really deep, like, okay, you know, it would be like, um, you know, one of the resistance members is, I don't know, Kathy Bates. Yeah. I'd be like, you know, I remember when you were in Mystic Pizza, you know, it's like, wow. Okay. Deep when I was there. in Mystic Pizza, I yeah. did this and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yes. And I saw Marlon Brando when he was on stage doing such and such. You're like, holy okay. shit, dude. So, um, of course, he and Ruby make plans to chat more um, as she's the only one that he's been soft with. Um, so, you know, what's going to happen to Ruby. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, she did. Yeah. Ruby is able to disable the lighting and security systems. Julie is freed and they all retreat. However, Daniel finds Ruby and recognizes her behind her disguise as a cleaning lady. He shoots her on the spot. The Resistance later holds a small memorial service for Ruby at the movie ranch hideout, and Ham definitely vows revenge. Julie's conversion experience has her preferring her left to her right, and now she's doubting herself entirely. So she she doubts herself because she doesn't know what is locked up inside her, kind of, you know, in terms of am I asleep or Yeah, Manchurian agent kind of thing. Exactly. Or Manchurian candidate. Yeah. And, and the fact that she prefers her left hand to her right hand has her a little bit spooked. So the oh, fact yeah, is, logically. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Mike absolutely convinces her that she's still human. And then a bit of a romance buds uh, out of this. And then Mike and Julie use stolen uniforms and a new device that was provided by Ham Tyler that reverberates a human's voice to sound like the aliens. Cause you remember they had the cool echo. Yeah. Thing. They had that weird electronica yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, they case the plant where the visitors are draining all the water to steal, and they're able to find weaknesses in the structure in order to blow it up, because why wouldn't a reporter and a biologist know those things? I mean, duh. Right. Like, come Um, on. Security is tighter than ever before, and the main tunnel that they'll use to infiltrate it is protected by a massive laser system because it's 1984, and it will instantly disintegrate anything that comes in contact with it. Yeah. yeah that was that was a that was a MacGuffin that was very popular <laughs> mm-hmm. it's usually like the laser grid yeah yeah i remember there was a macgyver episode it was the very that, first one that it's where he first meets pete martell okay yeah yeah and he he uses uh he uses he uses a mirror cigarettes to blow up it's yeah 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 and then he uses yeah, the yeah. mirror to guide it yeah and he even says and, and this is back when they were like still trying to feel out uh, what his character would be. So he's a little mm-hmm. bit more smart ass than anything else. And he's like, you ever seen a scorpion sting itself? 
you know, he does this. Yeah, yeah. I'm badass. Yeah. So, yeah, his early stuff as MacGyver, I really liked because there was a lot more loosey-goosey to him. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, he had a satchel and he would just pick things up along the way. And I really liked that because I'm like, oh, jury rigger. So, yeah. And I think I think there was more of Harry Dean and I'm about to miss miss say the act, but there was there's a lot more of the actor. Oh, Harry Dean Anderson. Harry Dean Anderson. Yeah, Yeah. there was there's a lot more of there was a lot more of him in there uh, rather than the the scripted kind of, you know, when when they figured out who the character was. Yeah, he didn't get to have his personality shine through quite as much. He was much more virtuous, like he wasn't not virtuous, but suddenly the virtue became his chief factor. Yeah. Like he went from being like a uh, an interesting rogue to being a paladin. So. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So uh, their whole plan depends a lot on coordination so that they can shut off the lasers, use the new explosives that are unstable at higher and lower temperatures, which is weird. Um, meanwhile, Maggie and her boyfriend, Mark, the ex-cop, they reconcile. Mark had been very jealous of the fact that she's fucking Daniel. Um, and I can get that, but Mark comes to understand that this is her duty for the greater good, and she hates it more than he does. Okay. Now, at the plant, the laser uh, security system is shut down in the tunnel, and the resistance, led by Ham Tyler, sneaks into the plant and places their explosives charges. Before long, they're spotted and begin to shoot their way out of the plant. The explosives reach the threshold of temperature stability, but the resistance members make it back to the tunnel um uh or don't uh and then mark gets hit by a laser blast and stays behind to hold off the visitor shock troops while the rest escape uh so she they, you know they just reconciled and then he dies um but he does it to do his duty for everyone you see yeah, yeah um yeah. and then he's killed the beams activate and that kills the shock troops haha um, the explosives go off. The plant is destroyed. The water still contained in the plant uh, cascades out, drowning visitor guards and flows back into the reservoir. Um, and this is like a major success. And we're starting to see a success amongst the resistance. So now Diana and John are focused on finding specific members of the resistance. They focus especially on bringing Michael Donovan out of hiding now that they found his freeze dried son. Um, and they broadcast a message saying that Sean had been found wandering alone. And Mike turns himself over to Diana exchange for Sean, who's obviously been converted Um, on board. The LA mothership Mike is met by a visitor fifth columnist who tells him that Diana has developed a very powerful truth serum that Mike won't be able to resist. And knowing that Mike will not only reveal the location of the resistance, but also the fifth columnist in the visitor ranks, he prepares to give Mike a suicide capsule. But then he's shot when Diana bursts into the room. Oh. Yeah. Now, with Martin accompanying him, Mike Donovan is fastened to an interrogation chair and is given the drug. Uh, And when he's asked who his fifth columnist contact is, he says Martin, uh, who quickly draws his sidearm and kills Diana's guard, but not Diana. He takes Mike through the ventilation tunnels again to a vent that opens on the ground below and near the vent are parachutes for evacuation. Uh, Mike is reluctant to jump, but Martin pushes him out. Meanwhile, Robin has gone into labor. Uh, The delivery is tough on her and she bears a human baby. Uh, And when the baby is presented to Robin, it hisses and flicks a reptilian tongue. So that freaks her the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Willie immediately takes charge of the infant and Robin is quickly sedated. 
And then suddenly Julie says that Robin is going to deliver another baby. But then she recoils in fear when the baby crawls out of Robin's womb on its own. And the child is reptilian in appearance with blue human eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, back to Sean, Michael's son, who used to love sports and other activities. Um, and now he doesn't care about any of that stuff. Julie shares her belief with Mike, who has escaped and comes back. Uh, and Mike, of course, refuses to believe that his son would act as a spy. And this starts their lover spat. But he definitely realizes that it's also true. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. Meanwhile, back to Julie's infirmary. Uh, Robin's human child, whom she's named Elizabeth, is growing at a rapid rate. And she is the size of a toddler after only a few weeks. And she molts her skin like a reptile. I had forgotten that detail. That's indescribably goddamn creepy. Yes, it is. Wow. The other baby is left in an isolation chamber and it dies. Uh, Julian Robert, this is Robin's dad, uh, study its blood and discover that the baby had a form of bacteria that Elizabeth and humans are immune to. This means that they can now engineer a bioweapon, which they will turn into a red powder. So it's getting okay. dodgy and questionable. Now, Maggie's surveillance of Daniel, remember Maggie, she yeah. shows that he reports often to Brian. Well, Ham Tyler breaks in on Daniel at his parents' house when he's celebrating his promotion. Brian is captured and Daniel is left for the authorities when Ham's friend Caleb, that's the redheaded fat guy, Caleb calls and tells them that Daniel had set up Brian in the hopes of ascending to his position. Revenge for Ruby. Uh... And it's a dish best served cold. Robin visits Brian at night now that he's a prisoner of the resistance, and she introduces him to his daughter, Elizabeth. He, of course, uses this to manipulate her and tries to persuade her to leave him, uh, leave with him and bring Elizabeth. But Robin instead opens his prison long enough to throw in the red dust at him, which becomes gaseous and suffocates Brian. So we have proof that the red dust works. Robin gets to murder Brian in front of her own child. Um, <laughs> and now all we need to know is, will this hurt humans? So Julie locks herself in the chamber and breathes deeply to see if it works on humans, because that's how science works. Yeah. And now, in all fairness, that is possibly what you would do as a resistance. And you're like, fuck it. We'll do genocide to get these people out of here. Like, there's, there's lines that you cross as a member of a resistance. And I get it, including yeah. commonsensical ones of like, we're not going to do good science. We need to test this shit. Let's go. I get yeah. it. Yeah. It doesn't work on humans. Julie and Robert also begin the process of developing an inoculation for fifth column members who want to assist them. Mm. Martin meets with Donovan and warns him of a doomsday weapon that Diana invented that will turn any mothership into a thermonuclear bomb that could destroy the Earth. Some Cold War level shit there. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth is part reptile, and actually she incapacitates her aunt, who's only a little bit older than Elizabeth. This is uh, Robin's little sister. Um, she spits venom in her uh, at her uh, from her own mouth. Um, Father Andrew, fearing for Elizabeth's safety, takes her to Diana to keep her safe. He also gives Diana a copy of the Bible, which she reads, and then she cruelly kills Father Andrew, telling him that the Bible showed her that she has vulnerabilities that can never be revealed. Okay. Yeah. And Diana's fascinated with Elizabeth and starts raising her as a visitor. Now, the resistance uses Sean Donovan to actually misinform visitor intelligence because they know that he's a spy. 
So they start feeding him the wrong information, make him a double agent without him will- knowingly. Yeah. Um, by holding a meeting to work out the details of the attack, they plan to steal fighter jets from Edwards Air Force Base and use those fighter jets to spray the red dust into the atmosphere. They do this with an earshot of Sean, uh, and he reports it back to his grandmother and Stephen, who's kind of like honey dicking Donovan's older mom. Um, he's a visitor. Okay. Uh, the resistance has an alternate plan to actually use hot air balloons, though. And the plan is structured to introduce a small quantity of the red dust into the atmosphere for the bacteria to multiply and invest infest the earth. Oh, all right. So on the morning. Subtle. Yeah. On the morning of the final battle, Stephen has his security forces waiting at Edwards and the L.A. resistance begins a battle on two fronts. First, at the visitors ground headquarters, where the red dust is launched by mortars and on the L.A. mothership, where a stolen tanker is used to pump the dust into the ventilation system, while another team tries to reach the control room to stop Diana from using the doomsday weapon. Diana, realizing that the Resistance has beaten her, demands that John assist her in activating the doomsday weapon. I guess it it's one of those, you need an XO. Oh, multiple keys, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, like you know, MX missile exactly. control. Yeah. Well, he resists, so she shoots him and gets the key. Uh, then she activates the weapon just as Donovan and Julie and Martin and Barbara and, uh, God, what's the name of that movie with the swingers? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like Ted and Nancy and Bob and, Anna oh yeah. Like yeah. 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 No, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Just so everybody. anyway, they all show up. Um, they enter the, the control room. Diana uses her conversion on Julie to slip away. She kind of like, you know, does the, do you remember? You wouldn't hurt me, would you? And just enough to give her hesitation, so she misses. Yeah. So she slips away. Martin and Mike are unable to deactivate the bomb, and in desperation, Martin pilots the ship away from the Earth, knowing that it's not going to do enough to stop Earth's destruction. Now, how Martin uh, can single-handedly pilot this thing, I'm astounded, but okay, cool. Yeah, well, um, plot, at this point, plot yeah. necessity. Exactly. Yeah. Elizabeth steps up to the control panel and a strange energy surges from her body in a 1984 kind of way. And she disarms the bomb. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love, I love the phrase in a 1984 kind of way. <laughs> uh, because, because the thing is, I remember the effect and you can visualize. And the 1984 I can totally. Yeah. 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 So the world celebrates the departure of their occupiers and Martin steers the ship back to earth. So, so that's that's the the final battle. It's a much more sci-fi thing than the previous one was. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot less uh, political discourse. Yes, for lack of a better word, a lot um, less. This is how they slip their hand up our skirt, kind of stuff. Yeah, and a lot yeah. more uh, actual science fiction. Yeah, you know, like we gotta uh, we gotta, we gotta, gotta create this dust. We gotta use science. We gotta yeah, figure out. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, it feels a lot more like a like a like an action film. Yeah, bit you know. Bit. Um, now there's also plenty of resistance stuff in there too, um, but there's not really a message being communicated here. I'm also noticing there's it's much less of a uh, political statement as it is a action sci-fi thriller with that as a background a little bit because like yeah, in the beginning. In the beginning, yeah, it was let's un- unface these people. That's about it, though. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an adventure story. Yeah, yeah. With with all of that stuff as the theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but it but it's not it's not built around the the ideological 
concepts of this is this is how authoritarianism works. Right. This is this is how they co-opt people. And these are the things that you have to do in order to be vigilant and and avoid that. Yes. You know, none of none of that kind of stuff is there. It's just the okay, aliens, bad guys, resistance, good guys. Right. And sometimes good guys have to do bad things. And sometimes there are fifth columnists who are actually good guys. And that's about as morally ambiguous as we're gonna get. But to be you honest, know, it it very much isn't that what most sequels will do. I mean, look at Alien versus Aliens. Aliens went action, sci-fi. There's some ambiguity. Yeah, a guy well, who's here's, not a human. here's yeah. It, the thing is, I I'm going, I'm not going to really disagree, but I think there's there's a shading of difference mm-hmm. because the original Alien movie versus Aliens is a shift in genre, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of all it is because. Alien was not trying to right. Alien was absolutely a horror film. A- Alien yeah. was was a gothic horror film in space. Well, I think it's, that I, I think that this is actually still holds because V was a political examination. The not even a science fiction as its mechanism, right? And it that was forced yeah. on it. Remember, um, yeah, but I the know. fact is, it was I there. Know. But this one is like here's here's your characters that you know they're doing largely what you know they'll do, but the stakes are deeper because it's a sequel and yeah. the action is more actiony. Like they 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 go away yeah. from the original substance and take you into the action. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is yes, it's a change. It, both of them are changes in genre. Yeah, or changes. Yeah, changes in genre basically. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a bigger i don't want to say sin because i don't necessarily want to be judgmental about it but sure. but that's that's the best that's the best word that comes to mind there's there's a there's a deeper intellectual step down yes involved with v and yes. v the final battle as opposed to you know when you take a horror movie and you're like, okay, well, we're going to keep some of the horror elements, but we're basically going to turn it into, you know, an action film. Yeah. An action thriller. Yeah. It's actually not even, not even a horror movie. It turns into an action thriller. It's not yes. horror elements anymore. It, it's tension. Right. Right. And uh, as opposed to, we're going to take something that is actually deeply intellectual and politically meaningful. And we're mm-hmm. going to turn it into a, a six hour action flick. Yeah. You know, and, and like, there's nothing wrong with six hour action flicks. Like I will, They're fine. I will yeah. happily watch them like forever. And, and some of them can even be high art, but on an intellectual level, that's a bigger step down. The amplitude of change is greater. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's, that's a very good way of, of summing it up. Yeah. yeah. Now, what I did notice though, was that in this one, whereas the last one was, this is how they take over. Look at the steps toward fascism. This one was much more intelligence and counterintelligence work. Psychological brainwashing, collaboration, double agenting, sleeper agents who didn't know they were sleepers. All of those things were very heavily focused on in this particular one. I'm not saying they did a good job, but they these were definitely major plot points. Michael and his mm-hmm. son, Julie and her trust of herself. Diana's efforts are are all that except for let's go Cold War II. 
um yeah. you know you, you have the the resistance well, but it's you know, all the, cold yeah. war yeah but you also you yeah and that's that's exactly right and and let's take a look at what's going on in 1983-1984 because right. by the time V the final battle airs on May 6th through 8th 1984 a few things have come to light we're going to get real depressing here so keep drinking um okay <laughs> <laughs> I, I have yeah i have yeah. i have nearly a whole nother beer good in this bottle because we're going to so talk about I, AIDS. I know oh aids shit <laughs> it's not even okay wait it's yeah not even gonna be like cold war depressing it's no be aids no aids depressing? we're starting with aids and we'll work our way oh, from there bitch yeah because aids was verified in two separate studies published in the same issue of science the the journal now, this ties somewhat into the imagination that went into the red dust, given that it was based in blood, that there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not it was a danger to more than one group of people uh, or all people. Okay. In June yeah. of 1982, the CDC had released a report that explained that there was a group of cases amongst homosexual men in Southern California that suggested that there was a sexually transmitted infectious agent at play in the rise of pneumocystis pneumonia. Um, I probably didn't say that right. Pneumocystis or pneumococcus? I thought it was pneumococcal. It's pneumonia. I'm pretty sure it's pneumocystis, but it's it's right. also called PCP. Um, okay. And a friend of the show, Tessa, could absolutely correct me on this. I'm, um, yeah. So uh, because the group studied uh, and the reported and, and and reported was specifically homosexual men, the syndrome was initially called GRID for gay related immune deficiency. It had other names uh, that were also specific to being gay, both medically and in layman's terms. There, it was called gay cancer, gay plague, homosexual syndrome, gay lymph node syndrome, gay compromise syndrome, and community-acquired immunodeficiency, or CADE. So just yeah. to just yes. to confirm, you were correct. It is yes. pneumocystis. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that, and I, I remember like double-checking, but I know fuck all yeah. about lungs. So, yeah. So that all of these things were gay related, it really clayed up the feet of anyone in the federal government because the president at the time was Ronald Reagan. Ronnie Reagan. Even yeah. by, even though by the end of the summer in 1982, it was clear uh, that it wasn't simply a gay disease, which is a stupid fucking idea. Anyway, um, I'm not <laughs> saying that there aren't I'm not saying that there aren't health concerns that are um, I'm going to say prevalent, possibly even close to exclusive amongst, uh, you know, queer communities. Mm -hmm. There are different behaviors. There are different accesses to um, all kinds of things. But being gay isn't what gets you those things. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, And also it's a self-selecting population. So those tend to be a little more insulatory. So the breakout is usually slower, but that doesn't mean it doesn't move forward. But it yeah. Indeed. So anyway, half the people that were getting this thing weren't gay, even in 1982 in the summer. And although it was still marginalized as the 4-H disease, because people getting it were normally either homosexual men, H, heroin users, H, mm -hmm. people from Haiti, H, or hemophiliacs, H. Okay. I remember it being called that when I was a kid, too. I don't remember that one. Yeah. Now I, I lived do in San remember. Francisco. 
Okay, good point. So there, there was a a regional level of attention. Yeah, difference. Yeah, there because at the time I was in Hawaii. Right. So, yeah. Now at a press conference (sighs) in October of oh I'm sorry I I I skipped a a bit Uh, by August of 1982 the CDC was calling it acquired immune deficiency syndrome. We know that. Okay. All right. At a press conference in October of 82. Lester Kingsolving, uh, the reporter, asked Larry Speaks, the then acting president sec- or the then acting press secretary after Jim Brady had been shot. He asked him if the White House was aware of the new disease that was ravaging the gay community. Uh, and so here is the transcript of that. Um, so it's it's uh, again, Lester Kingsolving is the reporter and Larry mm. Speaks is the press secretary or the acting press secretary okay. at the time. So Speaks asked, uh, this is, this is, uh, it picks up at this point. What's AIDS? Speaks asked. It's known as the gay plague, King Solving replied. Everyone in the room laughs. Like I've seen the video. Um, Speaks replied, I don't have it. Do you? The reporters and the government officials start bursting out into another fit of laughter. And then Speaks continued to dodge and joke with King Solving's questions, joking that King Solving himself might be gay simply because he knew about the disease. Now, like King Solving, (sighs) you know, and and all these reporters are are laughing along with it. Like this is the culture at the time is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not too different than watching the first season of Friends. Um, Now. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking, speaking of a of a large number of episodes that mm-hmm. that at some point we're gonna we're gonna have to do something about you you yeah you spent all that time doing that research i know yeah well it's gay you know, panic you know why i didn't yeah, why was... i didn't finish it was because mm. friends got sold to hbo and i didn't have a password for hbo at the time and then oh, okay. uh, wwe signed all of its shit over to uh, the peacock network and the peacock network did not do a good job of indexing jack or shot or squat so okay. it made everything harder. So <laughs> I was like, "Fuck this!" I'll watch. Uh, okay, I'll watch. That v. makes sense. All right. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. yeah. Boy, there's a life choice. Yeah. Oh. So. <laughs> so they're yeah. teasing King Solving <sighs> for it. Eventually, uh, Speaks does relent, and he acknowledges that nobody in the White House, including Reagan, knew anything about the epidemic. Which, okay, uh, it's really early on. It's only killing a segment of the population that doesn't get mainstream press. I could see it not making it way its way to the president's desk because he only wants things on one side of paper. A few hundred people Wait. get sick. You know, that's 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 what would work its way up eventually. Remember, Reagan wanted his PDB, his presidential daily brief, to just be one sheet of paper. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I had forgotten that it was only one side yeah. of a sheet of paper. Yeah. Jesus. So anyway, uh, Speaks <sighs> says there has been no personal experience here uh, and everybody's laughing. And this is what you get when your boss is the great communicator, but has zero substance. Uh, and as a result, plenty of misinformation at a crucial time was in the public sphere. Incidentally, Reagan didn't mention it until the summer of 85 because he was asked about it by a reporter. And because of this caprice, it was very much still in the public mindset that AIDS was a gay thing by the summer of 85. I know because as a Jesus Christ, it was 83, 84. So I was like 
I know exactly where I was living. I know where I was sitting when I when I was doing it. Um, AIDS became the way it kind of you remember how like in the early 2000s and for way too goddamn long, that's hella gay was a way of saying that's stupid. Yeah, you would, you would just say AIDS and it connoted homosexuality, um, weirdness and disapproval all at once. Yeah. Yeah. And in San Francisco, the area <sighs> in San Francisco that was known as being the gay district, and it's not like gays didn't live everywhere, but mm-hmm. was the Castro. Um, yeah. And at that point, uh, I very much was, you know, I, I I parroted what other people said. And if it was dumb shit, then I'd stop parroting it. And uh, my mom told me that I've said this. I don't recall saying it, but yeah, I was like six. Uh, didn't want uh, that. I didn't want us to drive through the Castro because I didn't want our tires to get AIDS. So now I okay. had all of the wherewithal of a six-year-old whose best friend six-year-old two years older than me and who saw me licking the butter out of a bowl of popcorn, you know, like the edges and the salt. Yeah, you know, how, like kids will lick the bottom of a thing, and he yeah, walked yeah. in and said AIDS and walked away. So that was me at six. Okay, that. That shouldn't be the country's culture because the president hasn't given a shit about it. So, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, now it's not a one to one about the red dust, but you can certainly see that there is a disease that most people believe is largely targeting one group of people that cannot be stopped. That is fatal. And that regular people don't think they can normally get regulars in quotes, of course. Uh, red dust targeted only the visitors who look just like us, but they are different and will leave the planet safe for us regular people. Okay, that got dark real fast. I told you to drink. Like, darker. It's already, yeah. It's already, you know, abyssal plain, but somehow you found darker. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, we'll cheer you up with Abel Archer. Yeah, will we? <laughs> so, you Abel... sure about that? <laughs> uh, Abel Archer 83 was an annual NATO exercise. It was a five-day exercise undertaken every year and simulated the escalation toward DEFCON 1, which I always forgot which one DEFCON 1 and 4 were. <laughs> like, I could never get the order right. Yeah. It's like, is it ascending or descending? Um, but apparently it's descending. Uh, so... Uh, So they would do this so that the Western European countries and the U.S. would be ready in case of a coordinated nuclear attack from the Soviet Union, which was a a very considerable fear at the time on both sides of the Iron Curtain. Yeah. There were some new aspects to this particular exercise, though, including the involvement of actual heads of state, new coding, uh, radio silence, etc., and because the paranoia that was already extant amid the nuclear powers toward each other... The Soviet Union was firmly convinced that the U.S. would someday launch a secret nuclear first strike against them. So they'd been preparing for just such a thing since 1981. And as such, several officials in the Soviet Union thought that these exercises were merely a ruse by NATO and the U.S. to launch the real deal that November day in 1983. There'd been other (laughs) things. Ed is pouring more. He has poured the entire thing out and he will now pour it into himself. 
There had been other things to escalate the paranoia and tensions, of course. Uh, NATO and the U.S. specifically launched exercises to psychologically put Soviet staffers on edge. They were doing that on purpose. They would launch wings of bombers right at the radar stations, and mm-hmm. then they'd make them veer off before crossing into Soviet space. Yep. Warships would sail through open waters in the Greenland-Icelandic-United Kingdom uh, gap, which is a gap that has more hyphens than any gap should. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to mind that gap. Yeah. Oh, well done. So same thing in the Bering and the Barents and the Baltic Seas. <laughs> so fuck. it's a lot of like, I'm not touching you flexes. I'm not you touching know? you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, you there's know, the, yeah. Go on. No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So and then there's the fleet exercise of April 1983, which had also done something similar. Uh, the largest U.S. armada ever sailed from the uh, Aleutian Islands toward Kamchatka in order to provoke and then analyze the Soviet response. This included flying American fighters over the Kuril Islands where Soviet military installations were placed. So all of that takes us to September 1st, 1983. Okay. Korean Airlines flight 007 left from Kennedy Airport in New York, a little late, bound for Seoul. I told you it was going to get worse. Yeah. They refueled in Anchorage, uh, and then they diverted course a little bit and then went on their way. The short version is because of a number of technical repairs and failures at, at the redundancies that are supposed to keep these things aloft, the flight ended up crossing over Soviet airspace. And because of the tension that was brought about by Reagan's obsession with the Strategic Defense Initiative, the planned deployment of Pershing two missiles and the flyovers during the fleet exercises of April of 83, six months earlier. Actually, I don't know if that's six months earlier, but you get the idea. Uh, And because of dumb fucking luck, the Soviets had planned a nuclear test on the Kamchatka Peninsula that very day. And the noted presence of a U.S. Air Force spy plane in the area and the situation was primed for shit to go just bad. And it went bad. It did. The MiG-23s were scrambled. An Arctic gale had knocked out a bunch of earlier warning radar stations that would have allowed earlier interception and plenty of time to identify the plane as a passenger plane and not an American spy plane that was bent on violating their airspace. But the gale happened, and the local officials had lied about getting shit repaired. Thus... When the Korean Airlines Flight 007 crossed into Soviet airspace and then back out, the Soviets were unable Mm. to intercept it in time to identify it. So when they re-entered the Soviet airspace, so imagine Soviet airspace is kind of uh, uh, curvy. And so they're flying in an arc. In in that that stretch, if you're flying in a straight line, you're crossing over into and out of repeatedly. Yeah, And if you're trying to reassess your course which is what the korean airlines flight 007 was trying to do you're going to also go ziggy zaggy yeah so the second time they entered soviet Mm. airspace it was nighttime and even though the pilots made visual contact with the passenger plane uh they were unable to identify it as a passenger plane and even though they fired warning shots the shots weren't incendiary so what's the fucking point of firing a warning shot at a plane that won't see the warning shots yeah So there's no way that the pilots of the Korean airliner would have been able to see that because they're not lighting up. It's at night. I'm firing bullets in front of you. And, and, and airliners don't carry aircraft detecting radar or they certainly didn't in, in 1984. Yeah. 83. Yeah. 
And since they didn't see anything, the Korean airliner went about its business, ascending to a higher flight deck in order to save on fuel economy. Now, if you're going up, up, that looks like an evasive maneuver, which the passenger plane would never make. Yeah. After being fired. Unless they were (laughs) climbing to a higher altitude to save gas. Yeah. So, as such, the commanders on the ground ordered the plane destroyed before it got back to international waters. The pilot who shot the plane down, uh, Gennady uh, Osipovich, sounds right. Mm, yeah, sounds Russian right. Russian is probably easier for me to read because it goes consonant vowel, consonant vowel, consonant vowel, and I can hang with that. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Anytime you start doubling consonants or doubling vowels, I'm fucked. You're you're boned. Yeah. Yeah. But Russian. So anyway. Yeah. Osipovich said. Uh, I saw two rows of windows, and I knew that this was a Boeing. I knew that this was a civilian plane, but for me, this meant nothing. It is easy to turn a civilian type of plane into one for military use. I did not tell the ground that it was a Boeing type of plane. They did not ask me. Now, yeah. his his forensic report of what happened kind of puts into perspective how fucking stupid war is. <laughs> like, he wasn't <laughs> wrong. Right. At every step of the way, he did his job letter perfect. Yeah. So I'll continue. Here's here's what he says. They, Korean Airlines uh, 007, quickly lowered their speed. They were flying at 400 kilometers per hour, 249 miles an hour. My speed was more than 400. I was simply unable to fly slower. In my opinion, the intruder's intentions were plain. If I did not want to go into a stall, I would be forced to overshoot them. That's exactly what happened. We already had flown over the island, which the island's name was uh, Sakhalin. 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 That. Jesus. See? You combine two consonants and I'm fucked again. Um, (laughs) And an H. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. a bunch of ways to say that shit. All right. So, uh, quote, it is narrow at that point. The target was about to get away. Then the ground, uh, he's talking about the controller, gave the command, destroy the target. That was easy to say, but how? With shells? I had already expended 243 rounds. Ram it? I had always thought of that as poor taste. I That might be translation issues. Um, <laughs> ramming um... is the last resort. Just in case, I had already completed my turn and was coming down on top of him. Then I had an idea. I dropped below him about 2,000 meters, 6,600 feet, afterburners. Switched on the missiles and brought the nose up sharply. Success. I have a lock on. We shot down the plane legally. Later, we began to lie about the small details. The plane was supposedly flying without running lights or strobe light, but that tracer bullets were fired or that I had radio contact with them on the emergency frequency of 121.5 megahertz. Yeah. Now, it's not even that weird to me that they lied afterward. I mean, that's kind of what you do when you want to cover up that you fucked up, despite all the things being right. Yeah. So all the things were right. And then they were like, oh, this is fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is this is where you get to reevaluate your protocols. Right. Yeah. Or you just lie about it and keep the protocols, which apparently that's where your loyalty lies. Which is what they did. Yeah. Now, it took just under four minutes for the Korean airliner to disintegrate, killing all 269 passengers. That's four minutes. That That's... long? Yeah. Because, I mean, look how high up there were, right? Oh, my God. And just because they got shot doesn't mean they blew up. I mean, he, the yeah. pilots were still trying to keep it together. 
the U.S., South Korea, Japan, and the USSR did not coordinate search and rescue operations either. It was more of an effort for the U.S. and her allies to implicate the USSR and vice versa for this tragedy. Yeah. Additionally, let's go over to Grenada. In October of 1983, the United States helped depose the left-wing New Jewel Movement's government that had taken over in the revolution of 1979. This helped to balance the books for Vietnam. It was, we need a win. Yeah, well, yes. And Rambo yes. hasn't come out yet for Rambo 2. So. Maurice Bishop. Fair enough. Yeah. Maurice Bishop had been the prime minister of the new of the new people's revolutionary government. But by 1983 in Granada, his deputy prime minister, Bernard Cord, had enough support to demand a two boss system. The fight at the top led to Bishop being placed on house arrest, which itself led to mass demonstrations until Bishop was freed. But now the government and the people were fractured, which gave breath to a military coup that executed several top officials, including Maurice Bishop, but not Bernard Cord. This, of course, meant that the U.S. had to invade and appoint an interim government until the election of 1984. And this was considered by the United States and United Nations a, quote, flagrant violation of international law. So the United States... Hearing that said, cool. Uh, and on November, uh, so they said that in November 2nd of 1983, the vote in the United Nations was 108 to nine. I didn't bother wow. looking up who the nine were, but yeah. On November, uh, November 14th, 1983, 50,000 people marched on Washington, D.C. to protest it. But. One week prior to the march, something rather remarkable happened. Because Maurice Bishop was a Western Hemisphere socialist leader, and because effectively the U.S. government decided to sanction him fatally, radical leftists in the U.S. took issue with this. This, along with the occupation in Lebanon that the U.S. was a part of, prompted the left-wing military group, or the militant group, called Resistance Conspiracy, which was an offshoot of the May 19th Communist Organization. They called themselves the May 19th Communist Organization prompted them to act out in a way that seemed correct to them, which meant bombing the shit out of the Senate. So, just to cover back, Korean Airlines get shot down. While yeah. all this is happening, AIDS is uh, a an ignoring concern um, and a growing <laughs> problem. Yes. Grenada gets invaded. The United States... You finally pronounced it the right way. Oh, it's Grenada? It's Grenada. Oh, I thought it was Granada. Anyway. No, Grenada. I throw Grenada. I throw Granada. Granada. Let's Grenada. call the whole thing off. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't. We invaded them instead. No. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So United States invades uh, Grenada. Um, and then uh, 50,000 people protest. And amongst those protesters, yeah. there is actually for like, it's it's very rare. And it's almost all like centered in this period of time that you have left-wing extremist violence in the United States. You really, the only time you have that is when it's retaliation against specifically right-wing groups. You very rarely have it against the government proper. Weather underground not count? Well, I'm saying from like in this period of time, like you go back to the 70s. Okay. All right. If we're going back to the 70s, I, I thought you were talking about, okay. Oh, no, I, think no, you're I don't, talking about I don't just, just mean just the, yeah. like Reagan administration. No, okay. No, no. We can go back yeah. to Nixon. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Weather Underground, CBD, uh-huh. Liberation Army. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, okay. the, even, the, even the SLA, I would argue, weren't 
really i mean they they co-opted the verbiage but but you think they, they were, were a just a criminal cult. conspiracy yeah you know they, they were a cult cult, cult slash yeah. criminal conspiracy yeah. okay yeah fair enough all right so yeah. and you know it's 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 that whole and here's the kicker um when people use left-wing rhetoric to justify their terrorism everybody's like see it's equally bad etc um it when is, you actually have to take so a look not. at yeah you actually have yeah. to take a look at things um so this group though they did that they bombed the senate so originally i'm going to call it m19 co uh <laughs> so the may 19th communist organization m19 co mm-hmm. originally they were called the prairie fire organizing committee or pfoc so and pfoc let's let's go with m19 co <laughs> <laughs> I like PFOC. PFOC is yeah. like it's messing with me, but okay. No. PFOC was dedicated to spreading the cause of the weather done weather underground, but by legal oh. channels. So PFOC was the legal, like the you know they were they were the, the provisional IRA. Yes, to the to the IRA. Yes, of of M nineteen Co. Yeah, they were agitative, okay. but they were legal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They pushed uh, for militias. They pushed for raising class consciousness. They pushed for advocating for a violent overthrow of the oppressive systems. But stay. Okay. <laughs> like uh, wait. oppressive systems, <laughs> oppressive systems, not well, okay. not all well, the systems. OK. So, OK, it's that whole right. me thinks thou dost protest too much. A like, little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But stay. But stay legal. But keep it legal. Yeah. The, yeah. the fig leaf, the fig leaf ain't working. That's no, that no. look. It's the erection it's not is holding it me. on, you know. <laughs> so, so, so when the Weather Underground split, PFOC reformed with groups that shared their objectives, and then their tactics changed. So they went from being agitative and legal to maybe not. The Black Liberation Army, as well as members from several other leftist organizations that either got dissolved or didn't go far enough for some folks, turned into M19 Co. Okay. Uh, and that was named for the birth date of both Malcolm X and Ho Chi Minh. Okay. Now, resistance conspiracy. Interesting synchronicity there. Yeah. Resistance conspiracy was an American franchise of the increasingly bomb happy and international M19 Co. During okay. its during its nine year history, M19 Co. carried out twenty bombings or terror incidents, with only one fatality. Now, normally they went for sabotage and jailbreaks with fake weapons. And there was a ton of stuff that involved uh, Tupac Shakur's mom, um, which. Oh, yeah. Actually... I remember that being a thing. Yeah. yeah. So this group is is really quite something. Um, so November 7th, the Senate adjourned just after 7 p.m. Just after 9 p.m., all significant gatherings were gone from the building. Just before 11 p.m., a phone call came in to the Capitol switchboard from someone claiming to be the armed resistance unit. Quote, listen carefully. I'm only going to tell you this one time. There is a bomb in the Capitol building. It will go off in five minutes. Evacuate the building. End quote. Five minutes later, the bomb went off on the second floor of the north wing of the Capitol. Robert Byrd's door was blown off its hinges. It shattered chandeliers. It sent a shower of pulverized glass, brick, and plaster into the Republican cloak room. A portrait of Daniel Webster was damaged, and uh, a canvas shards uh, of it were strewn across the floor. A jogger nearby called it a sonic boom. 
Wow. Best I could find, nobody was injured. Later that night, someone left a message with National Public Radio. Quote, tonight we bombed the U.S. Capitol. We purposely aimed our attack at the institutions of imperialist rule rather than at the individual members of the ruling class and government. We did not choose to kill any of them at this time, but their lives are not sacred and their hands are stained with the blood of millions. End quote. It was specifically due to the U.S. occupations and attacks on Lebanon and Grenada. Grenada. Wow. This group was the first American terrorist group entirely organized and led by women. So, some girl boss action. Really? Yeah. The women picked the targets, the women made the bombs, and the women implanted the devices. And there were well-educated middle-class women uh, who spent most of their adult lives using Marxism and Leninism as their guide. Accordingly, they believed that they could bend the arc of history and usher in a new world free from injustice and oppression. But it clearly would take violence, and they were willing to use violence. Quote, we lived in a country that loved violence, one member said. We had to meet it on its own terms. They saw themselves as a resistance movement in a police state and pulling at the facade that the American imperialists used to hide their predations on the world. Okay. Now, emboldened by this attack, one member wrote that the M-19 Co. needed to, quote, transform ourselves from target shooters into combat shooters, and that, quote, investigative work showed the possibility of doing an action that could possibly eradicate several high-ranking officers. We believe that selective assassinations of very clear targets is on the agenda now, end quote. They also wanted to target specific cops, prosecutors, judges, and former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger as political targets, or potential targets, pardon me. Wow. This was the second such attack. The first had been in April of 83, similar result, but near the National War College at Fort McNair in Washington, D.C. Nobody hurt damaged uh mm -hmm. i think it was barracks or an armory and then finally okay. let's talk about nicaragua <laughs> i don't have enough beer and what i have isn't strong enough <laughs> like okay nicaragua. now before i get to nicaragua you do see the bombing part tying into v oh uh okay good. yeah just make yeah. it sure Okay, so this is all the stuff that they're pulling on. The writers yeah. are is swimming in this soup, right? Yeah. And the resistance is led by Julie. Like Yeah. 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 And uh and interestingly, mm -hmm. um, as I remember, mm -hmm. the visitors, Diana was like the big bad. John John like thought he was. John was but, officially the big bad. But Diana Diana was well, I suppose TV tropes terms, Diana was the dragon, mm -hmm. but she was an ambitious dragon who wanted to be the one in charge. Right. You know, the, the, just to clarify the TV tropes term, the dragon is the, the monster or, or, uh, you know, underling of the actual big bad. So like Darth Vader is the dragon to Palpatine. Right. Palpatine is the actual mastermind. Vader right. is the terrifyingly scary murder bot. Yes. That, you know, enacts his will. Yes. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So back to Nicaragua. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shit. So December where, where 1st, we kind of, we kind of started with Nicaragua because we, 
That was El Salvador. We got into. Oh, that was El Salvador, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Sorry, my bad. <laughs> it's all right. Sorry, Yankee. Yankee yeah. doesn't well, want it's to be an America fucking with another you know, girl. Like, yeah, this is yeah. true. It's okay. Yeah. Anyway, Nicaragua. So, on December 1st, 1981, Ronald Reagan signed something called the Presidential Finding, also known as a Memorandum of Notification or an MON. It's something that he has to send to certain congressional members because it has to justify commencing a covert operation by the CIA. So this wasn't known to the public when it was sent, but it justified the authorized uh, and authorized a joint covert operation with Argentina against Nicaragua. However, Argentina withdrew support because of the United States supports of the UK in the Falklands. Okay, wait, hold on. Yep. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Why, why no, on the, earth no, are the, you confused? The whole, the whole <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the whole the whole Nicaragua was like, no, fuck that. We're we're gonna you, you can take your ball, we're going home. About the Falklands, I, I totally get that. But Argentina uh-huh. is multiple countries away. Uh-huh. So like, are we Nicaragua is Central America. Well, yes. So is the United States. I but, mean... <laughs> but but okay, but but, but at the both time we were a global hegemon. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. I suppose <laughs> if you're if you're a right wing military junta. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Argentina is the most but, established at this like, point. But you still have like you have Brazil and yeah. Bolivia. They're and still working all on their Brazilian miracle. They're, they have, are Brazil is not sturdy enough at that point as a military dictatorship, to be as honest. A, as a bulwark. Yeah, it's not okay. until like the mid-80s that they really step in. Well, yeah, and, no. And, and Chile is kind of running into the same issues. Um, their, their, Jesus. their takeover is talk only eight about, years old. Talk about a laundry list of just fuckedness. Yep. yep. <sighs> okay. So, so, so the Argentinians originally were like, yeah, we're totally on board, followed yeah. by... Fuck you and Thatcher yeah. too. Yep. yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So here's the short version. Uh, there was a group of rightist rebels in Nicaragua who opposed yeah. the Marxist provisional government called the Sandinistas. Yes. Daniel okay. Ortega. Yep. Yes. Now, largely, these are made up of Somoza's former guards, military people <laughs> who supported Somoza or anti-Somozaists who then felt betrayed by the Sandinistas when they set up the provisional government. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is this is I don't know. Arrogant of me, culturally chauvinistic of me. But I hear you saying all of that and talking about you know anti samosaists mm-hmm. who are who are now pissed off at the Sandinistas because of what happened after Samosa went down. Like, and all I can think of is you know this is the same part of the world that gives us telenovelas, maybe for a reason. Yeah, I would just point out that you, know, you get operas and melodramas from Italy for a reason too. <laughs> yeah, like, it's true. It's, yeah, and yeah. France. I mean, you know, yeah, this and, is not and, that different. You know, and 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 IRA ballads from from yeah, you know, IRA. You know. yeah, n- n- you're not wrong. But yeah. like, anyway, sorry. So just the Sandinistas, Byzantine. Yes. <laughs> so the Byzantine. Sandinistas had ousted Anastasio Somoza de Baile, B A Y L E. Yeah. Um, in 1979, in a revolution that had been yep. brewing since at least 1972, when Nicaragua suffered a huge earthquake. And the problem mm-hmm. was that Debaile and his cronies had embezzled most of the international aid that was meant for helping the people to rebuild in the capital, uh, yep. Managua. Oh, yeah. As... Well, Samosa, Samosa, mm-hmm. like if you know anything about the history, 
his name is a byword for just sadistic yeah. corruption. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, he samosa yeah. that. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh damn. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, as a result, most of Managua never got rebuilt. And this leads to hostage takings by the Sandinistas and the freeing of political prisoners, including Daniel Ortega in 1975, and an effort to increase the wages of soldiers. Now, the Sandinistas take their name from Augusto Cesar Sandino. Uh, as a near adult, Sandino witnessed U.S. Marines invading and suppressing an uprising in 1912 to maintain the puppet president, Adolfo Diaz. When he was 26, that is um, Sandino, uh, he attacked the son of an important townsman who had insulted Sandino's mom. Sandino had to flee the country and ended up in Mexico right as the Mexican Revolution was winding down, and he was hooked by, uh, by revolutionary efforts, and especially like the ideology of indigenismo, uh, the elevation and respect for indigenous culture. Yeah. He also got into anarchism, communism, anti-clericalism, etc. It was the 1920s. Yeah. When he got back to Nicaragua in December of 1926, Diaz had just been reinstalled by the U.S. after a coup by a third group succeeding that uh, that the U.S. had refused to recognize. The following year. Okay, so hold up. I yeah. need to I need to back up. So just while he sec. was gone. Yeah. Yeah. While he was gone, all of this all of this had happened in his home country. Yes. So so he witnessed Marines invading in nineteen twelve. Yes. And then killed the guy. That would have been Yeah. Which which US president would have ordered that? That would have been Taft. Okay. Yeah. And then he comes back because in thirteen, March of thirteen is when Wilson took over. Right. Okay. So then Taft so that's Taft. Right. And then have... he comes back in twenty six. Uh huh. And that would have, would that have been Hoover? Uh no no no. Um, let's see. Uh, Harding and then Coolidge. That would have been Coolidge. Okay. Yeah. Because, sweet Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just and... I just need to need to get the 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 sure. the, the landscape of of American presidents uh, exer- really. Yeah really exercising that Monroe doctrine, like, yes. like oh, really so hard. just, just bench so pressing hard. the hell yeah. out of that. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, just, so yeah, Diaz had just been reinstalled by the U S after a coup by a third group uh, succeeded and the U S refused to recognize. So they put those yeah. guys down the following year, having joined up with liberal uh, general uh, general Mokada, Sandino led a failed attack, but showed tenacity to his commanders, and he ended up with a field commission granted by uh, the previously distrusting General Mokanda, Mokada. Uh, so Mokada didn't trust him much, but like, okay, kid, I like your moxie. Um, and Mokada was leading the liberal army against Diaz, stating that Sakasa, who is the former vice president under Diaz, um, had the rightful claim to leadership of Nicaragua. Okay. Sandino recruited local peasants because remember what he loved. Yeah. Um, and he played a very vital role in attacking the capital. But the United States threatened to intervene again if they sacked the capital. So the liberal generals all agreed to a ceasefire instead. Like, we'll get right up to the capital, but we won't sack it. Okay. With the U.S. Special Envoy Henry L. Stimson looking on, the conservatives under Diaz and the liberals under Sakasa. Uh, agreed to let Diaz finish his term, 
and the U.S. could stay until they finished supervising the 1928 election, which would then that so that's going to be under Coolidge as well. But by 29, Hoover become is is, you know, he's been okay. elected. Right. Yeah. Um. So until they finish supervising the 1928 election and create a nonpartisan National Guard and police force. And this was called the Pact of Espino Negro, the, the black spine. OK. Most of the liberal forces were on board, but Sacasas refused and he left the country. Remember, he's the rightful ruler, uh, the VP. Yeah, right? yeah. Sandino refused to lay down his arms and he took to the hills uh, with a group of fighters uh, into the Segovia Mountains. And he carried on a guerrilla war against the United States and Nicaragua's new National Guard. And this included seizing a mine that had over 500 pounds of dynamite. He said that he would use it to, quote, kill Yankees. So, so, <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, the U.S. Marines reacted in the way that they will react, and in 1927, Sandino renamed his group the Army in Defense of the National Sovereignty of Nicaragua. And he declared that, quote, I will not abandon my resistance until the pirate invaders, assassins of weak peoples, are expelled from my country. I will make them realize that their crimes will cost them dear. There will be bloody combat. Nicaragua shall not be the patrimony of imperialists. I will fight for my cause as long as my heart beats. If through destiny I should lose, there are there are in my arsenal five tons of dynamite, which I will explode with my own hand. The noise of the cataclysm will be heard 250 miles. All who hear will be witness that Sandino is dead. Let it not be permitted that the hands of traitors or invaders shall profane his remains. That's fucking metal yeah so <laughs> like wow okay so for those years it was very much what you'd expect from an occupying army training a local army hunting down a guerrilla army <laughs> just... which is to say black comedy yeah the guerrillas yeah. mostly got defeated but then they'd get away right yeah they suffered more than they inflicted but they only needed to harass not defeat in a pitch battle at one point <sighs> Sandino even staged a fake funeral for himself to draw them into an ambush. In December of 1928, the U.S. Marines got a hold of Sandino's mom, and they got her to write him a letter saying to stop. He said that he would stop when the Marines left. Now, I would just point out to you, you have a resistance movement that keeps losing, but keeps getting away. And yeah. they use his family members against him. Yeah. The, the cool. parallels are very clear. Good, good, good. good. I'm glad because yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of worry sometimes I get lost in the details for some folks, whereas to me, it's like, here's a straight line. Um, yeah. Coolidge saw this as a point of pride, but Congress didn't. They refused to fund further operations in Nicaragua, not because invading another country's sovereign borders and picking who wins in elections was bad, but because killing good white American soldiers wasn't worth it. Senator Wheeler said that if American soldiers were meant to, quote, stamp out banditry, let's send them to Chicago to stamp it out there. I wouldn't sacrifice one American boy for all the damn Nicaraguans, which what is it? What is it with conservatives in this country and Chicago? Thank you. Exactly that. I'm like <laughs> at this point, it's because there's Italian gangsters there. Yeah. Right. But it's but always fucking Chicago. It's, it's always... like Stan Lee with his obsession of redheads, you know, <laughs> like. Yeah, well, as a non redhead, I can understand Stan Lee's <laughs> issue, but but like, really, <laughs> right? What the hell, right? 
Yeah. So the Great Depression's happening. The dwindling funds are there or are not there, I guess. The funds yeah. are drying up. So in January yeah. of 1931, Secretary of State Simpson, Stimson under, under Herbert Hoover elected to withdraw all the Marines from Nicaragua after their 1932 election. Okay. So again, there's a mothership, right? Why are you even sticking the fuck around that long? But okay. Right. But then in May of 1931, there's another earthquake and it hit Managua. Oh, shit. <laughs> so <laughs> the central government wasn't strong enough as a result to stop Sandino, who then attacked the Marines, occupied several towns, and generally took over a bunch of places in Nicaragua. Right. Now, I'd point out that he had his, th- his thumb on the doomsday device, right? Yeah. He's like, I'm going to blow shit up. Tons, tons of dynamite. Don't so fuck with me. Yeah. We're seeing these themes, and they're not always on their yeah. same sides, but we're seeing these things. Yeah. So in the 1932 election, Sakaska was elected. And after <sighs> his inauguration, so that VP, and after yeah. his inauguration, yeah, yeah. the Marines left. And after that, Sandino said he'd never attack a working class American visiting Nicaragua. People ask, they're like, will you attack Americans? Like, no, fuck no. Like, I attacked the Marines. I attacked colonizers. I'd never attack a working class guy. (laughs) I I do like the distinction though. Because like if you show up in your in your, you know, uh wearing your uh uh, Tiffany watch and uh yeah, (laughs) you know, in a in a three-piece suit, you're on notice, motherfucker. Yeah, you better watch out. Yeah, like no no you show up with a soft cap, you're good. You're Good. okay, man. Yeah. You're our people. Yeah. So, all right. Last so then at that point, Sakasa negotiates Sandino's disarming. So the, the new president is like, look, dude, we need to disarm you. Like, uh, and he says, cool, I'll do it for squatters rights for my soldiers, as well as they're legitimizing and co-opting in that area by the government. So you can disarm us, but a lot of us are good uh, policemen. And also we want land. And we fought really hard for your ass to be in power. Yeah. So, so what are you going to do? Okay. But Sandino still took issue with the National Guard because of its leader and because of its ties to the U.S. Marines. So he still had trouble with that. The general who was in charge of the National Guard was a man named Anastasio Somoza Garcia. Oh, no. And Garcia ordered, or Somoza Garcia ordered Santino's assassination without Sacasa's knowledge. After a meeting with Sacasa, Sandino and his five men that he trusted were stopped by the National Guard, who then took them to the crossroads nearby and killed them all. Anastasio Somoza Garcia's National Guard then took the, uh, the next month and destroyed Sandino's entire army, who'd mostly laid down their weapons already. Wow. Two years later... Anastasio Somoza Garcia forced Sacasa to resign and declared himself president of Nicaragua, starting a four-decade dynasty of Somosas ruling the country. So, the group of rebels who were right-wingers against the Sandinistas' revolutionary government that had overthrown the Somoza dynasty called themselves Contras. Contra is Spanish for against. against. Yeah. Which... Again, I, I, I'm going to say this about right-wingers. I'm not going to say it about conservatives. Right-wingers don't have any plan for governance. They simply stand against things. Yeah. They're not for anything. There's no positive policy. Well, I mean, yeah, look at 
look at the classic examples. What what yeah. policies besides did, genocide? Besides genocide and imperialism, did did, <laughs> like, did the National Socialist Party stand for? Right. What policies other than I mean, you could argue that Mussolini kind of had policies. I'll make the trains run on time, but that's still yeah. like it. It's not. It's it, it's not a coherent policy platform. It's right. It, it is. I'm going to make Italy great again. This is why they're called reactionaries. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> and and my know. biggest goddamn complaint with the people in our country right now who are calling themselves conservatives is you're not fucking conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're really like, good at like parasitic branding. Oh, they're excellent at it. It's yeah. it's one of it's one of their only talents. Um but you know conservatism like i'm i'm a conservative i believe in in institutions mm-hmm. believe in the importance of uh tradition and continuity of of continuity of tradition yeah and public you know, uh, to the point where it's because it's public order like yeah yeah social order matters a lot to you yeah and yes. and i i i recognize though Mm-hmm. that society changes right. and the key is not resistance to all change or undo trying to undo change and reverse change right it's it's to make sure that the changes that get made are beneficial ones and not at the expense of social order and yeah yeah that's that's conservatism yeah every like if you go if you yeah that's mm. Sorry, I get pissed off about this shit. Yeah. But yeah, so so the Contras were just like we we do not like Danny Ortega and the Sandinistas. We we want that right. out. We yeah. we want we don't like you know, we didn't like Samosa because he was a bit of a dick, but we damn sure don't like y'all. We want to be in power. <laughs> we don't um, like you either. Right. Yeah. So when the Sandinistas had taken over in 1979, the American president Jimmy Carter refused to recognize them as a leftist revolutionary government is super scary to Americans, no matter who they are and no matter what they replace, no matter who the president is. That said, Jimmy Carter also had stopped sending support to Samosa in 1979 when he was fighting against the Sandinistas. So well, because at least he was he's... committing, he was committing crimes against humanity. Right. He so was backing right wing terrorist militias. Like, yeah. yeah. So it just wasn't enough for the leftists in Nicaragua. So they took things over for themselves. Uh, and when Ronald Reagan was elected president, he condemned the Sandinistas for linking up with other Marxists like Cuba and El Salvador. Seeing this as a worldwide threat, Ronald Reagan signed the presidential finding and started funding the Contras. He also imposed a full trade embargo. My lord, is that legal? I will make it make legal. it legal. The Contras' main goal was to disrupt everything that the Sandinistas government was trying to do for the people. Sorry, I just I just am picturing Ronald Reagan in a in a in a floor length yeah. robe with a deep cowl. Yeah. I'll make it legal. <laughs> so Sorry. the whole platform of Contras is we're just gonna fuck up what you're doing. Yeah, just um, not you, motherfucker. Yeah. And this yeah. meant that all the social reform programs that they were putting in place became targets. So they used their training and the money from the United States to attack school, the, they being the Contras. Use yeah. their money that they got and their training that they got 
to attack schools, medical centers, and any peasant communities sympathetic to the Sandinistas or who were receiving help from the government, which is like almost all of them because social welfare matters and you're trying to, you know, better the life of peasants using tax money. And, they, and yeah. I, I think while, while we're bringing this up, it should be noted that they were, the Contras drew a lot of their support from the landowning Yes. Not quite gentry, but but the the upper middle and oh, yes. you know lower upper classes yes. of society. They were funded by people who owned shit. Yeah. Largely funded by the United States, though. Well, yes. So with all that money, they raped and tortured and mutilated and burned and kidnapped and terrorized people in order to terrorize the population who was getting aid from the Sandinista government, the legal government that was in place after they'd overthrown the Samosas, so as to destabilize the Sandinista government further. The links to the CIA were no longer secret, especially given the efforts of the Reagan administration to propagandize the world, especially the Nicaraguans, to get them to think of the Contras as their friends. And enough stink was made in Congress about it, though, and, and early on. And in December of 1982, the first Boland Amendment was passed as a part of the fiscal budget for 1983. There had been a prior bill aimed to prohibit the use of funds by the CIA or the DOD, uh, Department of Defense, to support military activities in Nicaragua. But it fell. However, Representative Edward P. Boland added an amendment to an appropriations bill, which was very popular, and with the recorded vote of 411 to 0, it prohibited the CIA or Defense Department to use funds of the bill for military, but it didn't specifically name covert uh, purposes in, in Nicaragua. Boland then sponsored a bill that did pass in 1983 that limited the amount to be spent for military purposes in Nicaragua, and he added an amendment that prohibited covert assistance for military operations in Nicaragua, since you need the letter of the fucking law, not just the intent, apparently. Like, I love it. It's like, no military shit. Well, that's okay. We'll do it covertly. God fucking damn it. You know what we meant. Yeah, well, yes. Now, oh, as... But I use my left hand. Yeah, but with a certain amount of legal training, it's probably a good idea to basis anyway. Like you know, yeah, but I choose my left hand. Yeah, no, but but also yes, because you know, yep. the way the way the law needs to be written is a specific kind of thing, and yeah. so yeah. But now, I mean, it it does it does point up the moral bankruptcy of the whole situation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, but, and yeah. the the zealotry of like got to do it this way. Now, this yeah. is after the airing of V, the final battle, but it was in the ether by this point. By 1984, the Boland Amendment prohibited the federal government from spending from providing military support, quote, for the purpose of overthrowing the government of Nicaragua. Like you have to put that in there now. It aimed to prevent the CIA funding of rebels uh, opposed to the revolutionary provisional junta in any way. Most specifically, it was trying to block Reagan administration support for the Contra rebels. Reagan's administration narrowly interpreted it to apply to only U.S. intelligence agencies, which left the door open to the National Security Council, because that's not an intelligence agency, you see, um, because it's labeled differently. So they could continue to channel funds to the Contra rebels this way in order to block the funding through the NSC. The amendment was then changed to prohibit any funds for, for military or paramilitary operations. 
But because the law was a prohibition rather than a criminal statute, no one could be indicted for violating it. National Security Advisor Robert McFarlane, for whom one of my hamsters was named, Deputy National Security Advisor Admiral John Poindexter, for whom another hamster was named, both of whom, oh, I actually said that in the, in my script, both of whom I'd named my first hamsters after, mm. uh, and National Security Council staffer, staffer Colonel Oliver North, whom I didn't name any hamster uh. after, because even <laughs> I knew he was a fuckhead. Um, <sighs> As well as others, they kept up an illegal operation to fund the Contras, which led to the Iran-Contra scandal. At that point, members of the National Security Council staff continued covert operations forbidden to the CIA. Such operations were justified under the pretense that the 1984 Boland Amendment did not specify what, what constituted an agency involved in intelligence gathering beyond that of the CIA or the DOD. A few months after the second miniseries aired, it came out that the CIA was flying cocaine into South Florida, as yep. I'd mentioned in my Smugglers episode. Yep. And yes, all of that led to the Iran-Contra affair, which wasn't really well known to the public as at large in 1985. So when you look at the plot of V the Final Battle and you see that it's not hardly at all about a resistance movie and what they have to do after they unmask John, and more about move, counter move, truth serum, fifth column, using a son against his dad, sleeper agents, genocide. You can see what's going on that led to the writers that Johnson had hired and supervised, but then left when Warner breached his contract. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to slightly counter a little bit. Cool. Because I, I not so much that I think that's, wrong but i think you're you there's there's a very western hemisphere focus in well, all of the that writers were in la well they they were yes, yes but um there's also the fact that this was the height of the cold war between us and the soviets mm -hmm. and we were we were engaged the cia was constantly doing all of these same kind of moves uh, encounter to the KGB for intelligence as to where military assets were mm -hmm. trying to get secrets, not only on one another, but making sure that they had tabs on, like, we wanted to know what Poland and Czechoslovakia oh, and yeah. well, I edited you know, the Baltic out a States were doing infection stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, but also the, know. the time that I'm looking at is 83 to 84. And a lot oh, of the okay. defections started right. coming later. And a lot of the gamesmanship became known only after the cult, the, the Berlin wall fell. That's true. But yeah. at the same time, I'm trying so, to think of what yeah. the frequency was of James Bond movies being made during the same time period. Uh, a view to a kill had come out around this time. That's the one over okay. San Francisco with Grace yeah. Jones and Christopher okay. Walken. Okay. So and... you still have Mad Men. Basically, okay. you don't have necessarily... Cold I mean, War kind of figures. I mean, it is all Cold War shit, but it's yeah. like he's against, you know, Gold Spectre. Yeah, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So okay, yeah, I I see that, but I I think I I think we were culturally also very directed toward mm -hmm. that whole spy versus spy kind of thing that was going on. You know, oh yeah, yeah, and that's in, what I'm saying. In, it's moved in Europe and, and globally. Serum. Yeah, there's truth serum. You know, there's using yeah. his son against him. There's sleeper agent. There's a lot of sleeper yeah. agent shit. Yeah, um, that's all there. 
Um, but a lot of what you're talking about was concerns after the Korean War or during the Korean War. Okay. Um, that's when that really matured as a paranoia. Okay. I mean, you start to see maturing okay. candidate. And shit yeah. Like yeah. So I'm not there's saying also, that it didn't exist. I'm well, saying yeah, no, there's, there's also, there's known. also the fact, there's also the fact that there was at the same time as this going on, there was nostalgia at that point for the fifties. And so yes. the paranoias yes. of the fifties were also kind of being regurgitated with some of that stuff that on some sense. level. But uh, a you lot know. of that was again, what was in the papers and what was in our, our national media diet. Okay. Um, yeah. The fifties was still the good shit. You know, you still had happy days um, was, was really winding down at this point. Yeah. Actually. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, was kind of one season yeah. ago. So, yeah. yeah. So that's where we right. end it actually. Um, because okay. next episode, we can finally talk about V the series. Um, okay. And then we'll eventually get to V, uh, which is the other series. <laughs> the, the other series. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it's going to get really sad and depressing again. So. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> anything that you've gleaned? Um, <laughs> I need to buy stock in InBev. Um, <laughs> the, the willingness of American society mm -hmm. to overlook the the moral degradation mm -hmm. of right-wing allies because of our desperate bourgeois fear yes of anybody left-wing i full agree is really remarkable now i'm 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 fully going to going to stand here and and be the annoying moderate in the room and mm -hmm. and say that you know there was there there was later on i mean not necessarily during this point but there was shit that that denny ortega later on wound up doing as a oh he was not you clean. know of, of a of no. as, as a you know boss man dictator yeah. you know kind of guy but with that being said, it's like in order for us to, to point fingers at, at him as a left-wing guy, we have to completely overlook everything Samoza had the Samoza exactly had yeah. done. Yeah. You know, and and for 40 and big, years. For oh, Jesus. For multiple decades. Yeah. And it is it is something that continually comes up to me when we're when we're talking about the real world history that we discuss in this show. It, it it never stops striking me. It's not a surprise anymore, but it's always something that I'm like, oh, and there it is. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that our national genesis in a specifically bourgeois anti-tax revolution mm -hmm. is, is something that has had a fundamental effect on our attitude about the political spectrum our, worldwide. Our cultural immune system will always flare up against anything left. And it will let in tons of right-wing shit. Yeah. But anything left, it will it will be like um, my friend used to run a, a, a D and D game years and years ago. This is you know more than twenty years ago for me. 
Um, he ran a D&D game where in his world, the Kender were the most hated species ever. And so you would have entire battalions go out um, and they'd be fighting against like the big bad evil guys with like mithril water and shit. But if they saw a Kender, they would all turn their guns on him and empty their clip and then turn back to try to figure out how to kill the big bad evil guy again. And it, it always feels like that's that's how America is toward kind of yeah let's Kinda. stomp that through the ground. Um, after all, there was a bomb that went off in a building when everybody was gone. That's terrible. Um, but you know what? Let's uh, let's let's soft pedal this uh, hearing thing about these people who stormed that same self same yeah. building. Yeah, one. Let's yeah. soft pedal that. Two, uh, never mind all of the clinic bombings, doctor assassinations. Oh fuck! I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 you know just uh-huh. completely overlook the infiltration of our law enforcement by white supremacists. These at, two things are equally the same at nearly every level. Yeah, you know, like yeah. like the FBI is screaming at us. Mm-hmm. Like constantly, literally screaming at us at the top of their lungs. No, no, white supremacist right wing groups. This is who we That's need to be fucking threat. worried about. Yeah. Like, can we please get some more money to deal with these fuckers? Yeah. When when the FBI are your good guys. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> like, holy crap. Like, yeah. That's that's like, wait, yeah. you know, I think the Pinkertons have a point here. Yeah. Like what? That's not good. <laughs> okay. The moral event horizon is behind you. Yeah. A couple of All miles. Right. Like, yeah. So what you reading? Uh, I am still working on uh, the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant. Wow. Well, I, had a hell of a I don't lot have, of memories. I don't, I don't have a lot of, a lot of free time to read. Good point. Good point. So, you know, that's that's an issue. But uh yeah, I, I will okay. I will continue to recommend it. I actually uh separate from what I am reading, um a uh an exchange, I guess, not really a conversation, but an exchange I had online, uh leads me to very strongly recommend uh the games people play. Okay. And this is kind of totally random, but it's it's on my mind at the moment. Um, which is uh, a textbook for uh, transactional analysis um, written by a psychiatrist, Eric Byrne. Okay. Um, and I really, really highly recommend it, um, especially if you have any suspicions that you might be in a relationship that is unhealthy. Okay. Um, it, it, gives a really remarkably clarifying paradigm cool uh to take a look at how we interact with each other and um how to how to break out of unhealthy situations okay so how about you well i uh just got and i'm not uh i have not yet cracked it open but i am looking forward to it i just got uh, a philosopher reads marvel comics is civil war uh by mark d white uh, exploring the moral judgments of captain america iron man and spider-man so i look forward to having my shit challenged um so i'm going to dive into that at my okay. convenience so but yeah um all right so uh Let's see. They can find you on Instagram, TikTok. Uh, I can uh, be found on TikTok Twitter. as Mr. Underscore Blaylock. I there can be go. found on Twitter as E.H. Blaylock. 
Um, don't go looking for me on TikTok. I don't have very much there, um, except a rant about the Jedi and George Lucas fucking mm-hmm. it up. Um, and then we collectively can be found online at www.geekhistorytime.com. We can be found on Twitter at Geek History of Time, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, it's late and I had to drink myself through that whole thing on <laughs> Central America, so I might be wrong on that. Geek History Time, yeah. Geek History Time. Yeah. Um, and then where can you be found? Sir. Uh, you know, honestly, if you're in the Sacramento area, uh, geez, this will this will probably drop. This will probably drop after the October seventh uh show. Um, the first inaugural show went really wonderfully in September. Uh, the next one that you could probably go to if you're in the Sacramento area, if you're vaxxed and uh you have ten dollars, uh, is the November fourth uh capital punishment, um, at Luna's at eight p.m on november 4th so come on down support local comedy live comedy if you're in the area um other than that that's pretty much where you can find me right now um i still have some puns up on uh tiktok but uh you know they're wonderful and beautiful but uh i'm 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 not sure what i'm doing with them so uh but yeah you can find me there so well for geek history of time i'm damian harmony and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s